Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your presence here right now with each of us. And for the one or two or half dozen of us who walked in here feeling that life was absolutely drained of any hope and all seemed so bleak and lost. Thank you, Lord, for turning up for us and making the kinds of promises you make that you will keep and never, ever go back on. I'm asking you, Lord, to keep your promise to me right now. To take my lips and speak through them. To take our minds and think through them. To take our wills and bend them to your own. And to take our hearts, Lord Jesus, please. Make them malleable moldable in your hands and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, we are going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4. It's on page 6 in your service sheet. If you'll find it and just hold it there for the moment. One of the things that... uh, clearly you were looking at last week is the old year out. Taking off the old year, the old garments, whatever it is to divest yourself of the garbage and the hurt and the pain of a previous year. And for this year to be on with the new, out with the old, in with the new. You've heard that said. But right here in the scriptures, You've got it said. If you found chapter 4, look down to verse 23. What it says there is to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And all that preceded by verse 22, the thought that you were looking at here last week if you were here, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, just the very fact that God says, I want you to take note of this. This is really big news, that you can leave a past behind and head into something that's new and vibrant and different. Do you see how Paul opens this statement? Look at verse 17. I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. So Paul said, look, I'm telling you this, and I'm insisting on it. And in the Lord, I'm telling you, don't live like the Gentiles used to live. Now, what he's describing here 
is a way of life that's absolutely corrupt and moribund. Just nothing but a mess. It's later described in this chapter. You don't have these words in your text. But listen to this. When he's saying you need to live differently, each of you must put off falsehood. That's to quit lying. And speak truthfully to your neighbor. Put on truth. Put off lying. Put on truth. He speaks about us all being members of one body. So in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. And in reality, as plain as it can be, earlier in this same epistle to the Ephesians, he writes it this way. So bear in mind, if you're at chapter 2, this is two chapters earlier than chapter 4, he's already asserted some truths here that we're clinging to. Listen to this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, Satan himself, the spirit now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also, all of us, he's like including himself with the gang there. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now this is one sick, screwed up mess. Ephesus was very, very wealthy. Some of us were early, earlier this year there in Ephesus. Brilliant uncovering of that city. An amazingly wealthy city to walk through the homes of the rich who lived in that city. The arts that they've uncovered on their walls. The masonry, the stone masonry. The, the tiling on the floors. Levels almost like a multi-level, wonderful series of condominiums like those I've just left behind in Florida. Unbelievable. In that day and age, immense wealth. And the driving force of all those communities to which Paul wrote, whether it was Philippi on the one hand, Corinth, Ephesus, was the temple worship so religious experience that was absolutely corrupt and filthy, driven by prostitution, with prostitutes working within their temples and having feasts that were complete debauchery around the food that was offered in sacrifice in those temples. Life itself was just a driven multiplied corruption. And what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is this, and we live in a sick world today, and it's as available as the piece of equipment you've got in your hand when you've got any kind of a cell phone. 
What he's saying is, you don't have to live like that. You don't have to be a part of that. You can take that off like filthy old garments and be done with it. And put on new garments so that life for you is different. If you've got the impression that you can never change and circumstances around you will never change and your life will have all the kind of little miserable aggravations or in other cases, huge, painful, aching, resident in your soul, memories of misery's past. If you think that it can never change, then what you have done is destined yourself to an ongoing misery and negativism that continues to be self-fulfilling as a prophecy and produces more misery upon misery. And we watch it in the world around us. We used to uh, have our home, my wife Kathy and I, Sunday evening gatherings. At one point we had them every Sunday evening and then we wore out just a little bit and had them once a month. But we would invite people who'd visited the church and other friends and other leaders to our home once a month. We're looking forward to doing that. And it would be on a Sunday evening. Well, being a preacher Sunday morning, I'm kind of taken up someplace preaching as you would know so what we would do is race home and get the house straight and my primary job was to get the yard straight and the lawn mowed and if it's the leaves to be raked but to make the house look presentable and if it's winter to have the log fire stacked the grate cleaned well 15 minutes before people arrived I could be seen out there in the yard looking vile and filthy and sweaty. People who arrived early to help get the house, not the house presentable, as my wife say, all I had to do was sweep up and open the door. And the people would come in with the food and put out the, the dining uh, for the evening. So she was working indoors, I was out of doors, and they would arrive early to get that all ready and catch me out in the yard, looking filthy, like they've never ever seen their pastor before. Filthy ragged trousers that I'm working in, filthy shoes, filthy hands, sweaty brow, hair a mess. Unfit for company. But ten minutes later, you would not know the chap who came walking down the stairs. Having been through the shower, taken all the filthy stuff off, dumped it on the bathroom floor, put on new clean clothes. You all know how this works. You've been there, done that. And I would look at myself in the mirror going in and say, what a mess. And then look at myself going out and say, whoa. That's what Paul is saying as he writes for us here in this scripture can be our lives. To shed the filth and the dirt and whatever the past has been, to shed it, dump it, and put on a new set of clothing that represents a whole different kind of person. Look again with me at what he's saying here. 
Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And that's a gift that God gives to us because Jesus has already died on the cross to pay for all the filth. So in coming to him, he can take that all off and to give you a whole new set of clothes that look like him, to be clothed in Jesus-like righteousness. And when everything else comes barreling in on you, all the attitudes, habits, mindsets of the past, Christ in you convicts your conscience that this is not the way to live, and it's backed up through the Scriptures here as Scripture speaks to you and says you can be done with that. You don't have to be like that. Now, you've got two whole sets of problems. What would be called the sins of commission, things you do or have done, and the sins of omission, things you leave undone. Now, we've dealt to some extent with the sins of commission, the stuff that you bring to the party, who you are, where you've been, what you've done, and the way that you want to, to be new and to start again with Jesus and have him transform you from the inside out. And as Satan comes after you to tempt you, deceive you, lie to you, bring you down, just as we looked at it there, drag you back, get you back to where you were in his clutches, miserable, decrepit, spoiled, ruined. God gives us the opportunity to come to him, start again, get rid of it, leave that behind. And ask Jesus to come clothe you again in your rightful mind and heart and direction. All of us here who came to Christ once upon a time in the past know exactly what I'm talking about. For those of you who've yet to come to him, you've got a whole new beginning to start and maybe even here this morning. But to have the sins of commission dealt with by Jesus on the cross and then these sins of omission and what I want to deal with is often the case that people become very very pessimistic deliberately ignoring God's great promises the kind that Randy was singing about for us the kind to which I'm now alluding where he says I'll never leave you nor forsake you where Jesus says come to me he doesn't say just come to church. He doesn't give us a bunch of rules or regulations and say just keep these. He says come to me. That we can come to him individually and personally. And he's the one making the promises. And that he will never let us down. Never let us go. That he loves us with a love that's enduring. All the kind of crap and filth that we would throw at him. And that we often throw at each other. The possibility of 
Leaving that behind is one thing, but to get dragged into it on the other because you are deliberately ignoring the opportunities that God presents to you to begin again, to condition your heart, to condition your attitude. Look at that verse that I pointed out, verse 23. It's so strong to be made new in the attitude of your minds. In Romans chapter 12, he says something very, very similar. One of those very, very famous promises and verses. Do not be any longer conformed to the pattern of this world. This is verse 2 of Romans 12. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The problem starts in our heads when we either start dreaming about sin, contemplating sin, looking at sin, being drawn to it, attracted by it, dwelling on it. Nobody ever just goes flat out and jumps into bed with somebody else. They've been thinking about that before they ever get there. And the mind controls the heart and the direction of your lives. What you feed yourself in your mind. Don't be any longer, one translation puts it, having the world squeeze you into its mold. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? How do you renew your outlook? How can you step from being a negative person who's always fault-finding to be a positive person who's always cheerleading? How does that happen? I tell you this, you could have come in here this morning being a fault-finding, negative, put-down kind of a person and walk out of here transformed. Because you can decide to put that off. Throw those rags away the rags of negativism, the rags of fault-finding negative attitudes, the pessimist that some of you become so quickly where everything's going to be wrong, everything's going to go wrong. And you find fault and you know how to do that. We've been trained to do that in our society. And I tell you, I'm a person who's prone to that. My wife and children will tell you, I can get so down and so negative, nothing's right. Now, you don't see that side of me because here I am preaching positively out of the Word of God. But I know what I'm talking about because I can lay aside that attitude. I don't have to live with that attitude. And when I see it coming on and I know it and my family's responding to me, making it very clear that Dad's in a grumpy mood, I can lay that aside. It's a miracle of God's grace. I don't have to be there. And that doesn't make everybody perfect, but it changes my attitude. That's what's being spoken of here. Your attitude being changed through what God's Word does in your mind. The way, and I ask the question, I give you the answer. How do you get a new mindset? Is put new stuff into your mind. God's Word has all kinds of great promises to you. We encourage you to read the Scriptures, dwell on the Scriptures every day. And when you don't, I'll tell you what's filling your mind. 
all the stuff that's coming out of the radio or the TV or the newspapers or the entertainment you watch or the conversations you get into. And I tell you this, it's all destructive and negative. I was just speaking to a young couple planning on getting married this week. Not getting married this week, I was speaking to them this week. Really, last week. Turn the corner here. Just speaking to them a couple of days ago to be accurate. And I'm telling them that they need to be into God's Word and into the Lord daily for themselves. Because if they are not, the world is so destructive of marriage commitments, living together as husbands and wives, treating each other as we should, and loving one another, and raising our children to be certain kinds of children, etc. The world's against it. It's pouring filth out, and obtuse attitudes. When you hear men speaking ill of their wives in public, laughing, put-downs, sexual gestures, sexual innuendos, I've been at celebrations where men decimate their wives with their coarse comments when it should be a celebration of an anniversary. And it's so destructive. And when I say this to this young couple I'm sitting with, they start nodding because they know how that works with their friends and how their friends talk about family and husbands and wives. The world's against marriage working. How do you change your attitude? My wife and I read Scripture every day, almost without fail, side by side with each other. We may do some other reading on our own, but we'll read the Scriptures out loud and reflect on them together. You can do that. You neglect that. You neglect the opportunity to spend time together with the Lord and what you are doing is opening up the door to all the negativity that comes and kills you and destroys who you are and what your attitude is. Many of you can absolutely back that description with your own lives, your own relationships. You can put that off, take that off, be done with it. And come to God's promises to you which reshape your mind and reshape your thinking and reshape your, reshape your attitudes. There's a family in this church who've been very important to me over the years. And one time I was preaching out in uh, another part of Pennsylvania in a large-ish meeting under <laughs> like a big tent, huge thing, two or three thousand people there. And they invited their son to come and listen. He was one angry son of a gun. That's what they said. And he needed help. And he came to that meeting. And having gone home with Jesus in his life and coming to the promises of Jesus, he later called up, within days, his mom and dad, who were here in Sewickley. So he's calling from the other end of Pennsylvania 
to Sir Wickley. And the mother did not recognize her son's voice. She did not know who it was on the phone. Because that young man, married with two or three kids, but still a young guy, had been radically changed by the Lord and his outlook since then has been in general extrovertedly positive. The Lord can do that. But you've got to lay aside the crap and the filth and all the bad attitudes and all the old stuff and come to him. And then nurture and nourish your relationship with him with the great promises of his word which are healthful to you. You know the old slogan about the computer generation, garbage in, garbage out. You fill up the computer with garbage, all you're going to get back out when you're looking for answers is garbage. That's your mind. The most brilliant computer the world has ever seen, created by God. Garbage in, garbage out. God's word in, God's truth, God's spirit, God's attitude in. Transformation revealed in your life. Don't you want that? Let's begin again together. It's New Year's time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you we're fed up with the stuff that has so perverted, misdirected, and ruined our lives. The habits of thought and attitude and disposition. We are sick of it all. Thank you that you come to us right now. And even as we come to you, we pray, Lord that you will help us in these moments to discard, tear off and throw away the messes and muddles that we have so lived and walked in and help us to cling to you. Come and fill us with yourself, Lord. Help us to walk with you and talk with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus.